Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and who love history and food and talking about it and also making things and foods, both historical and not. So we normally like to start the podcast by talking about what we've been making and or baking recently. So what have you been up to? Finally finished the Gamzee. Yes! It's alive! <laughs> I didn't think I was going to finish it this week, which was a shame because I am seeing my sibling soon. How but long... I had a very quiet day at work. <laughs> so I did the collar today. Good call. How long did it take to make in total? I, I genuinely couldn't tell you because... I basically got most of the torso done and then realized I'd done it in the wrong side and that size and had to frog the whole thing. Oh, no. But a, a while. I'm trying to remember when our episode on Gansies was. It was it was quite a while ago. I think it was it last was year. Here. Yeah. And I have also some dice. Ooh. Mostly you made dice? They are greenish blue with silver glitter and then the numbers are in silver as well and it's just a design that makes me very happy oh okay i'm looking at these now and they are great uh, they are glittery i like them a lot that's the problem with all the the nice looking tabletop dice is that i just want to pop them in my mouth they just look like sweets. Well, one day I will get a second dice mold and use it exclusively for making candy dice. Yes, please. Oh, that would be incredible. You would have so many nerds on your doorstep if you but did that. not until I've got a dishwasher. Good point. Yeah, I can imagine cleaning those would be problematic. I mean, just cleaning up boiled sugar generally <laughs> is an absolute pain. Yeah. Which is why I don't do it. I remember that time when we made toffee apples at home and it was a mess. What have you been up to? Um, not that much recently. Uh, well, in, in the very uh, recent few past. Because... One of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the times are all blurring together in my head. I'm mid-writing dissertation. <laughs> um. But I injured my finger playing basketball, so not much has been happening. I haven't been able to do any crafts. Do you know how terrible that is for me? Am I right in thinking you were playing basketball for your occupational therapy class? Yeah, so... Um, I don't the... think you're supposed to injure yourself during occupational therapy. <laughs> yeah, but at least I, like, theoretically know what to do. <laughs> Um, You're going to rehab that finger so well. <laughs> I did do a placement in hand therapy, so I'm well equipped for this. <laughs> Divine Providence. Um, yeah, so we've been doing all sorts of, you know, craft and gardening and that kind of thing throughout the course um, to kind of understand the 
nature of meaningful occupation, why it's beneficial and how you could adapt it for, you know, certain limitations that people might have to participating in these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and this term, we have to do a sport because it turns out that some people like playing sport and we should help them to do that if they want to. I mean, sounds fake to me, but... <laughs> Actually, um, like I'm not the kind of person who normally enjoys organized sport, but (laughs) it has actually been quite nice and we're taking it easy with the basketball. So Mm -hmm. it was fun up until uh, I murdered my ring finger, but it's not broken. So it's fine. It's just pretty swollen and nasty and I can't clutch things with my right hand, which is a problem. Um, So, yeah, crafts require this. (laughs) It turns out. I am right-handed, so yeah. Um, but yeah, not that much in answer to your question, I'm afraid. Um, but I have been reading, um, in the interest of having some, something to talk about, um, I read Stanley Tucci's book, Taste, his Ooh. food memoir, um, which was I enjoyed it very much. It was good. He's a good writer. Um, he talks about a lot of the foods that have like influenced his life and turns out quite a lot um that's cool yeah so if you're looking for kind of a relaxing food oriented read with some fun anecdotes i would recommend um so yeah what's our topic for today so by by popular demand by which I do mean multiple people in our Patreon Discord. <laughs> um, I'm going to be doing a guide to different types of tea. Oh, fantastic. I feel like this one has maybe been a while coming. Yeah, it's over a year since we did our episode on the history of tea. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that tea is your thing. Tea, tea is absolutely one of my favourite things, which is why we did an episode on tea. But there is so much to tea. I think a second episode on tea is definitely warranted. Yeah, so last time we covered history, mm-hmm. this is varieties. Varieties? Varieties, yes. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> I liked it. So I imagine that is a huge variety of teas. Yes. Um, I'm going to be very gradually working through the main sort of categories of tea, I would say. Okay. I was thinking you probably would have to narrow it down a bit in order to fit it into sort of 40 or so minutes. Yeah, I I am also going to just talk about Camellia sinensis. About what now? Camellia oh. sinensis, the tea plant. <laughs> I um, thought you were referring to like a special mysterious kind of tea for a second there and I was excited. But yes, now I remember it is the name of the tea plant. Yeah, so if... if I guess if people want an episode that covers uh, rooibos, mate, um, 
various herbal teas. Let us know and there'll be another episode. <laughs> Maybe in oh, another year. Yeah, we'll have to do a Tazane episode as well. So I'm going to start with white tea because my brain wants to go from least to most processed. I like it. Oh, yeah, I was going to say it was white tea is that the when you just pick the leaf and don't do anything else to it then? Um, so it's specifically hand harvested um, young leaves from generally from the base of the plant. Ah. And while a lot of leaves are oxidized to some extent, white tea is actually immediately dried after the leaves have been allowed to wilt, which is the first step after harvesting, to actually prevent any oxidation. Okay, and what does that do to the flavour? Um, it's a very light sort of floral flavour. It's much lower in tannins generally. Mm -hmm. And it also, because it isn't oxidised, it has a lot more antioxidants, which makes sense. Okay, yeah. And it's a much lower temperature brew. Because again, the leaves are so much less processed, so they're a lot more delicate. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the lowest caffeine kind of tea as well. Right. But that'd be a good, like, evening tea. Definitely, yeah. If you if you want to not have decaf, which understandable, because like some decaf stuff, I think tastes a bit different but if you want a tea i would i would go for white mm -hmm. and yeah it's the most expensive kind of tea and also the one you're least likely to get flavored generally at least from most tea suppliers mm-hmm do you mean like with um like like flavoring like berries and fruits and things yeah because it it just it wants to just do its own thing mm -hmm. oh it's an independent tea it is a, i was gonna say a strong independent tea it's <laughs> a light <laughs> independent tea i have a nice white tea blend at home that I think has some orange in it which my palette for tea is not as good as yours um and it I, I think it tastes nice I don't know whether that's like sacrilege and I should just taste the tea itself but it's, it's good I think that I can see that working really well because there is kind of a like I say like a floralness to it mm -hmm. like I have a tea that is a mix of I believe white and green with some fruit in and that works really well. Oh, yum. You're making me want tea already. And all I have is... <laughs> I have G and tea. <laughs> Not quite the same thing. <laughs> um, 
Um, but yeah, the, I do think it's fun that Oolong, Oolong as well is handpicked, but we'll we'll get to Oolong. Hopefully it won't take too long. Oh dear. You can't see me, but I'm making finger guns right now. Oh, I assumed. I could hear the finger guns. <laughs> um, so then we have green tea. Hmm. Which I personally think is the most interesting. Okay. Because you get a lot of variety within it. So green tea is... Um, it's not oxidized as well, but you can get later flushes of it and you can get you can buy it broken, which you can't with white tea. What do you mean by broken? Is um, that so like... not whole leaves. Okay, like crushed up. Yeah, so like when you get ba- when you get bags of tea mm-hmm. from like the supermarket, that's generally broken. Right, okay. Because bags of tea tend to use the cheaper tea. Um, so the whole Japanese green tea leaves are referred to as sencha. Sencha is just any whole leaf Japanese green tea. Okay, I didn't realise it covered like all of the kinds. But you get varieties within that. Um, which are sometimes to do with the strain of the plant. Um Or sometimes you get ones that are more to do with how long the plant has been shaded. Because shading green tea is very big, especially in Japanese um, tea cultivation. Ah, Does that make it greener? It does make it greener. Um, Matcha is shaded, which makes it a much brighter green colour because it makes it produce more chlorophyll. Oh, wow. But shaded green tea is also considered to be milder and um, grassier because some green teas can be quite astringent. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely had trouble sort of getting into green tea because it is very bitter tasting, um, having not had it before. I will say... A lot of people say they don't like green tea, but it turns out they've been making it wrong. Really? Because you need to make it with a lower temperature of water. Okay. Otherwise it does become very bitter because you basically just scald the leaves. So yeah, sencha ah. is the your standard Japanese whole leaf green tea, where the um, the leaves are steamed and then rolled out. Okay. Um, but you also get a uh, shincha, which is the first flush, the first crop of leaves, which is much closer to a white tea. It's mm-hmm. a lot lower in caffeine and actually has a lot less astringency than sencha does. Okay, so is that considered like the higher quality or does it not matter they're just different kinds um i think it depends who you ask (laughs) 
but generally first flush is considered higher quality mm-hmm. like if you have places that specialize in just the leaves as opposed to different blends they will often say you know this this specific one is first flush it's going to cost more but it's nicer and then from those same bushes again you get bancha and fukumishi cha so bancha is it's more earthy it's picked later and then fukumishi cha is steamed for a lot longer so you get a much darker color ah. but it's still a green tea yeah okay and then there is also um i'm probably butchering all the pronunciations um gyokuro which is covered for a full three weeks before harvesting so you get a much a much lower astringency because of that shading Wow. And some be... people compare the flavour to nori. Okay, the seaweed roll. Um, well, just the seaweed part itself. Yeah. I I haven't had gyoko roll. Mm. But I I think it's just I just think it's cool how many different kinds there are. Yeah, it's amazing. So there must be places that specialize in making a particular kind of tea. Yeah, there's, um, especially in Uji, which is the area near Kyoto. Um, I'm focusing a lot on Japanese tea right now, but green tea production in Japan is a very big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot of different tea farms where they'll either specialise in one kind or they have, you know, this area is all sencha, this area is... I completely blanked, but you know, like different kinds of the teas. Mm-hmm. Okay, a regional. Wow. Uh, then you also get uh, kukicha, which is actually my favorite kind of green tea, which is a lot sweeter, I find, and that is actually made of the stems and twigs of the tea plant. Hey, I had no idea that those were also used. I honestly think that the the closest comparison that I could give would be like it's like if tea was lemonade flavoured. Oh wow. Like it definitely still tastes of green tea, but there's there's a definite comparison to be made to lemonade flavour wise. <laughs> and Kukicha is actually a good one for if you want to try green tea but you don't it's not necessarily easy for you to stop the water boiling at a certain point because apparently the flavor of kukicha isn't changed by the temperature of the water unlike the leaves that does sound nice i'm I'm a big fan of kukicha i I went to a i went to a green tea um plantation once in vietnam um and it it was very cool um it was also a little bit misty so like very magical but um it was they were selling 
um, some of the tea that they produced and it was like snow tea, something like that. Um, I don't, I don't know about tea production very much at all, but um, yeah, it was, it was a green tea um, that was fairly bitter, I think. Um, but yeah, that is pretty much the uh, sum of my experience of green tea. I've encountered snow tea, actually. Um, but it, the the snow tea I found for that was because of the height that it was grown. Okay. Um, there's a, a snow tea from I think Tibet that's grown at four thousand meters above sea level. Oh wow! Okay, it is. That is definitely not what I had. It was not quite that high. <laughs> but that sounds amazing. Yeah. If, if anyone knows what that kind of snow tea is, let us know. Wow. That's one I've not come across. Yeah, let us know what it's like. But yes, the I think probably the most... Probably the trendiest tea at the moment as well, and the most well-known kind of green tea would be uh, matcha. Mm-hmm. Which is also often shaded to give it a much milder flavour. And for people who don't know what matcha is, it is powdered green tea leaves, which you basically dissolve in water and drink that whole thing. So you're getting the whole leaf. And in terms of some of the nutrients, I've seen things saying that it's equivalent to like 10 cups of regular sencha. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's why it... Okay. That, that is a, a punch of flavour. Yeah, matcha is... It's not for everyone, <laughs> I would say. But I really like it. And it comes... You can get flavoured matchas now as well. Like, there's mm -hmm. a tea shop... Um, well, not just in Manchester, but I go to the one in Manchester. That has all sorts of different flavoured ones, like the... I have a raspberry ripple matcha. Wow. I'm trying to work out. I have to, I have to give it a try. I think based on that one time that I had matcha when we went to the tea place in Manchester, um, it was, yeah, definitely very a very different taste to what I'm used to. And I wasn't, I think it would take me a while to sort of get more used to it. But I loved watching it being made. Uh, oh, like yeah, when the you, whole you process it up and then you add a little bit more water and then you whisk it up yeah like I could just watch matcha being served all day <laughs> yeah matcha is, is often used in tea ceremonies because it's a whole process making it um people also use it as like a mindfulness exercise because it is this whole process to make it yeah that makes sense and then at the end of it you've got a cup of green tea which very much correlates with the kind of people that do mindfulness, I would say. Ah, oh, you're making me think with my sort of OT hat on about activity analysis, the different movements involved in making matcha and like how, yeah. <laughs> well, when, when yeah. I come to see you, will I have to bring my matcha stuff? Maybe. <laughs> um. And yeah, so powdered tea is actually really old. It probably comes from Tang Dynasty, China. 
So that's seventh to tenth century um, mm. common era. Wow. Um, so people would steam the leaves and form them into sort of blocks of tea, and you can still buy cakes like the shape of. I'm explaining this badly. Um, they're called cakes of tea. It's basically a like patty shaped thing of compressed steamed tea leaves. And you can just break the leaves off it to use, or you can grind them up in a stone grinder to create green tea powder. Which apparently originally people often used salt as well as water to make the drink. Interesting. So I'm going to have to try salted matcha and get back to you on that. Yeah, please do. And then it becomes exported to Japan through, I think we talked about this in the tea episode, through the travel of um, Zen Buddhist monks. Because this is how tea got from China to Japan. Ah. And the monks would use matcha, the caffeine from it, to give them energy so they could do the things that Zen Buddhist monks do, like stay up for a long time meditating. That is an effect of caffeine. <laughs> and yeah, like I say, it is it is the kind of tea that is often used in tea ceremonies, both religious ones and the ones that are more for tourists mm -hmm. like if you go to a tea house in japan for a tea ceremony there's a good chance it's going to be matcha sounds like a very a very ritualistic tea yeah mm. is that all the green teas or are there even more there are even more kinds of green teas <laughs> um but i the other ones are mostly varietals which I'm, mm. I'm not going to get into, because that, that would just be a whole episode of just me listing kinds of tea. <laughs> kind of like the shipping forecast, but for tea. Yeah, um, which I don't know, might be a good ASMR thing. Um, <laughs> but there are also subtypes of the types, like um, there's different kinds of censure and different kinds of matcha, because there's different kinds of leaves. I will leave that for when I need to get to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've already been talking for like five minutes. Oh, no, no, it's great. I just, I'm, my brain is struggling to comprehend the amount of teas that exist. Uh, what is the next kind of tea? The next kind of tea is oolong. Yay! Which is delicious. So it is partially oxidized. So it is between green and black tea, sometimes referred to as uh, blue tea. Oh, wow. Although that can get confusing because there's also a tisane made from butterfly pea flowers, which is this beautiful, like, cartoon ocean blue. What? That is what a lot of people mean when they say blue tea. Oh, that's incredible. I've got to try that. <laughs> it's great. It changes colour if you add lemon juice. It's it's an indicator. 
like a pH oh. indicator. Oh yeah, of course. If you make it acidic, the um color pigments. What? Oh my gosh. People use it in cocktails a lot, apparently, just to get that color changing effect. Yeah, I can I can see that working. Um, so yeah, oolong is between the two. Okay. And you do get different kinds of it, which are more or less oxidized. Mm-hmm. And some are roasted, whereas some aren't. So again, like within every kind of tea, there's a million different subtypes. <laughs> um, generally considered that it should not be taken with milk. Okay. Which, I mean, tea purists will tell you not to have milk with most kinds of tea, but I think everything except black <laughs> tea, it's more of a thing to not have milk in it. But yeah. tea is a very European thing. Uh, definitely, I was going to say, you can't tell an English person that they're not allowed to have milk and tea. <laughs> Can you imagine the uproar? <laughs> I say um, that as somebody who doesn't even like milk and tea. I think they only have milk in, like, tea bag tea. Because I am a tea snob and used to my fancy <laughs> loose leaves and don't do not particularly like the flavour of tea from a bag unless there's milk in it. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's because you're refined. Although chai tea is often brewed in milk. Yes. But that is black tea, to be fair. <laughs> um, so oolong tea, which is also actually often used ceremonially this time in China in the uh, Gongfu tea ceremony. And yeah, there's a really wide variety of oolongs. You get ones that are sweeter and almost smell like there's honey in there. Or much woodier ones. And like with black tea production, the leaves are withered, rolled, so kind of with a rolling pin often, um, and roasted. But the different amounts of time that that's done for produces the different flavours as well as obviously different varietals. And this is one that you, you will get a lot of blends with oolong in a lot of flavoured ones. And we're we're gradually moving along the caffeine scale here as well as the processed scale. So it's has a caffeine level between green and black tea because the processing is between the production of green and black tea. Yeah, it sounds like it might be good for blending then, if it's like an in-between kind of tea. And you can generally tell, if you can look at the leaves... You can generally tell if it's going to be more towards green or more towards black because the colour does change with oxidation, which is why mm-hmm. black tea is black. But the, the main kind of oolong I want to talk about because it's um, it's kind of a new, at least new on, the scale, on the scale of tea. Did you say a new long? Yes. Um, to develop in in the eighties is a uh, milk oolong. Milk oolong, which is also known as uh, Jinshuan or Naijiang or tea number twelve, uh, which was developed in Taiwan, and has a flavour that tastes like there's cream in there. Hey, wow. Which I think is really interesting given what we just said about do not put milk in oolong. 
<laughs> yeah. I guess if it's like a part of the actual tea leaf, though, it might be a different, you know, slightly subtler. Yeah, it's it's relatively subtle, and also you still very much get the the tea flavor through, whereas mm-hmm. you get you get fake milk oolong, <laughs> which has a flavor added to it, which is less of a tea flavor and more of the milky creamy side of the flavor. But it's it's quite a hardy variety though, because it can be grown at higher altitudes and has a higher yield than most tea varieties. Hmm. I just think that's neat. That is pretty neat, yeah. For some reason my mind hadn't like hadn't thought about the concept of new teas being invented. Well I guess it's like like all kinds of horticulture, it's like, hey, what happens if we do this? Or I wonder if I can make this happen. Yeah. So oolong is often grown in South China and in Taiwan. And Taiwan actually has a huge tea industry for the size of the place. And they have a lot of signature oolongs, including, like I said, the milk oolong. Including one that the leaves are almost purple and it's quite sweet. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. So I always think of Taiwan as like, you know, cities and stuff, but I guess, yeah, that, that is not entirely the case. Um, it's also thought to be like, I do not really advocate dieting as a practice, but it's meant to be good for that, for um, suppressing hunger because it has, um, it has tetraglycosides which basically make you think you're fuller than you are okay so a lot of the kinds of diet teas that are not just laxatives will often have um oolong in and now we get to black tea of which i'm sure there are also many many kinds oh there are (laughs) many of Kinds of tea that most people will have heard of, like Darjeeling, are black mm. teas. Um, Darjeeling is a good example, actually, because it's quite a well-known one. It is named for where it is grown. So you can get things like Darjeeling oolong, which is oolong made from Darjeeling tea leaves. Ah, I see. Okay, so... Because, again, this is all from one plant. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's from the region of India, right? Yeah. Um, the other, I would say probably most well-known kind of black tea, Assam, Mm -hmm. is also named after a region of India. And most of the teas that you will have heard of and bought bags of are black teas. Uh, You've got your, your Earl Grey, your Russian Caravan, all of that. That is black tea with other stuff. Um, interestingly, the the breakfast teas that you get just in a bag are normally blends of mostly Assam and Darjeeling in different ratios. Right. Um, so black tea leaves are the most oxidised normally for several hours. And if it's not made for being a loose leaf tea, or if it if they're okay with the leaves not being whole, they'll sometimes actually cut them up to complete the oxidation process okay so i guess that means you can produce it faster 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, because it is the most popular kind of tea in the West, which means there's a lot of money in it. Yes. So you want to get it out there as quickly as possible. I hadn't really thought about what teas go into the sort of your bog standard breakfast tea bag. Just had them under the category of like assorted black tea. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, after the oxidation, you get the process that all the leaves go through, which is drying, which prevents further oxidation and removes the moisture from the leaves. And you actually get some that are roasted rather than just dried out which gives you a whole different flavour. And that, again, is not just black teas, but that is getting into me rambling. <laughs> so those are the sort of main kinds of tea. And then there is just one more, which is uh, pua, which is fermented tea. Oh, wow. Um, comes from uh, Yunnan originally, I believe, which is in China. And they actually ferment it after it's been dried, which means it continues to oxidize. Okay. And is this a, a black tea or a green tea? Um, you can actually get green, poor, and black. Okay. I don't know if there's, if you can get the one, the other kinds of tea, but I I know that you can get green and black poor, and that is also quite popular in China. Um. Yeah, and there's there's some controversy over whether it should be classified as a completely different kind of tea or not. Like whether it should come under dark teas, which is fermented teas because there's other fermented teas, or whether it needs to be very much its own thing under classification of Chinese teas. Ah, okay. There's controversy in the tea business. There really is. <laughs> um, yeah, some of the, the terms that are used for the sort of tasting notes of Pua include the fermented flavour, the storage flavour, the fish flavour, and the mouldy flavour. Interesting. Which, I mean, it is fermented, so you are going to have some of those more earthy flavours. Uh-huh. The mouldy flavour paints a bit of a graphic picture, though. It does. It is not mouldy. Oh, good. It I just smells mouldy. The, the flavour is a little bit earthier. Uh, taste. Mmm. Okay. Uh, it's, some people say that it goes particularly well with fatty foods. Because of, of that more earthy flavour, which I find quite interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know more about like tea pairings with mm. food. Um, you also get vintage pua. Oh, uh, is that will, extra will, fermented? Well, it, it's aged. Oh wow! Uh, kind of like wines, it's stored in specific mm. ways that mean it doesn't go off. I see, but it does not become alcoholic. It does not. Ah, although I bet you could ferment tea if you really wanted to. I bet someone's done that. I am sure there's there's a tea wine somewhere. There must be a tea wine. I mean, you can ferment anything, basically, so... Yeah, it just needs to have some amount of sugar in. I mean, to be fair, like, poor is fermented. But I guess it would be, what, 
what's technically the tea liquor, the thing that you actually drink, mm-hmm. seeing if you can ferment that. Yeah, basically every uh, recipe I'm seeing with a with a quick Google search on tea wine is a tea flavored wine oh, like involving raisins. Um, yeah, basically the the tea is just there for flavoring the grape wine mm-hmm. or or a fruit wine. So yeah, I don't imagine there would be much point in making like a, a tea wine just from the leaves because there's not much like um it doesn't make it any particular sort of you know fragrant flavor like elderflower or and you have to add a lot of sugar anyway because there's no like juice in it so yeah um the only other thing i want to say just because i find it amusing is there are multiple dragon ball characters that share names with kinds of tea Wow. There are side characters called Oolong and Pua. <laughs> and there's actually a variety of green tea called uh, Gokuo. Okay. Like, That's like an Goku. interesting choice. Oh, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> it was all about tea all along. I, I have only seen like two episodes of Dragon Ball, but. I thought that that fact should be shared. I also cannot remember the plot of Dragon Ball, but that is fantastic. <laughs> should have called it Dragon Ball Tea. <laughs> wow, that is a lot of teas in a relatively short space of time. It it sure is. <laughs> Um, it's funny that you say they should have called it Dragon Ball Tea, actually, because there is one shape that you can get compressed pu'er tea in, which is called a dragon pearl. Oh, because wow. a little a little orb of tea leaves. So maybe it really oh. was all about tea. The caffeinated orb. <laughs> so yeah, I don't I don't really have a good conclusion apart from Dragon Ball facts, but that is. <laughs> That is the main kinds of tea. Go forth and I, drink tea. I hope patrons enjoyed that. Because I had a great time. <laughs> I bet you did. So did I. I'm inspired to go out and try more kinds of tea. <laughs> and to try making green tea properly. Yeah, when, when I come and see you, I will bring some of my fancy teas. Please teach me your ways. <laughs> <laughs> So what is Aldo Colada this week? All right. Um, I might, I'm just going to give you a quick quick rundown on the tea cake. Oh, we have a theme. Uh, we do. I thought, since we haven't done this one yet, um, I could match it to the episode. Um, <laughs> I won't, um, yeah, I won't give it too long because we're, we're running on a little bit, but... Um, Sorry. Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> This is a great episode. Um, yeah, so uh, the tea cake, um, if you are British, will be very familiar. It, in fact, kind of old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. Um, it is kind of a a flat, yeasted bun. 
containing fruit, usually, um, that you cut in half and toast, and then you spread butter on it, and you have it with tea. Yeah, it's almost like a circular hot cross bun in terms of form and flavour. Yeah, say. I guess. Um, it's it's kind of like a little a little frisbee of cake. <laughs> well, bread, cake bread? Sweet bread. Yeah, it's a sweet bread. <laughs> It's it's a bun, it's a squashed bun, um, enriched <laughs> bread, and very synonymous with um, being eaten in a tea room, mm-hmm. um, where you go and have tea and like dainty cakes and buns and things, um, and and gossip. Um, so it's it's kind of associated, I guess, with kind of you know your your granny might go and have them or like it's kind of old-fashioned but um having said that you can association really funny because i used to have them like during break time in primary school a lot oh brilliant yeah you don't have to taste them right you can just butter them and then have it like a sandwich almost um but what i have learned in the course of looking this up is that um there are several meanings to tea cake globally what because different meanings (laughs) yes i'm shocked (laughs) um because i was really familiar with just like what i know as a tea cake right Mm -hmm. but it turns out that tea is drunk in many places and People in all of those places like to eat little cakes with it. And so a lot of things are referred to as a tea cake because it's what you eat with tea. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, it, yeah, it, it does, right? Um, so in England, it's this kind of flat bun that you toast usually um, because toasting things makes them better, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, although in certain parts of Northern England, apparently a tea cake refers to a sandwich roll. So I hear. Not one that I've come across, but what you call small bread rolls is very controversial in <laughs> probably most of Britain. It's contentious and we at Bread and Thread will not be wading into this debate, I'm sorry. I will, it's a bomb cake. Just is, it's a bomb. Fight me. Yeah, well, I won't slow your roll. <laughs> um, I can't bite you, we're many hundreds of miles apart, unfortunately. <laughs> but I'll I'll save one for you. Okay. Um <laughs> I don't know. Uh so in the US, a tea cake uh, actually refers to something that's more like a biscuit um if if you're in british english or a cookie um so yeah something that's a a bit more sort of crunchy um and from what i gather it's very much a black american food um in australia uh apparently it's more a, a buttery kind of cake um and also in india and can contain flavorings like cinnamon um, and you serve it warm, which sounds delicious. 
Um, and then also in Scandinavia, um, there's like a a wheat, a, a yeasted bread um, that is referred to by variations of like tea, tea bread, tea cake. Um, but you can also serve with cheese. So many versions. Um, but I'm going to concentrate on the English one. Um, because I feel like I could devote a whole local larder to those versions as well. So I, I'd like to do that at some point. I do have to ask before you do. Tunnock's tea cakes. Is yes. That, because is that just a you have it with a cup of tea? I believe so. Yeah, that's another incidence of this is a cake that you have with tea, um, which... If you've not had a Tunnocks, um, anyone, and I certainly recommend that you try, um, that is like a little sort of biscuit marshmallow covered in chocolate combination that is delicious. Mm. Um, it's a good time. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so the English tea cake um, are a flat bun containing fruit. Uh, it's kind of shrouded in mystery in its origin. <laughs> um, there are conflicting opinions. Uh, there's one uh, theory that it descends from manchip bread, which in the medieval period was like the nice, fine, white, whiter bread, um, and that at table everyone would be given one of these, like a, a small one, um, and, and there's a theory that it kind of descends from that, um, which apparently... In Sussex, my home county, um, there is a particular kind of tea cake that contains things like cinnamon, nutmeg, and rose water. Um, so some That's extra fine. extra flavorings, which is still referred to as a manchet, or sometimes a specific recipe, Lady Arundel's manchet, um, which comes from a 20th century cookbook. Um, so that's quite interesting. Um, but I don't know whether that is like a you know old variety or like just because it's some kind of bread, it might have kept that name. Who knows? Um, there's one recipe for a manchet uh, in Gervais Markham's cookbook published in 1615, um, which I actually have an abridged version of, so we could do. A, a book episode on that at some point we definitely should yes <laughs> um and that describes the making of a manchet and that it should be your best and principal bread oh <laughs> important um yeah and and then but that's not specifically you know that's bread it's not a tea cake um So, yeah, we we don't really know. We get similar kind of recipes in American cookbooks in the 19th century. Um, but the first actual recipe or the reference to a tea cake as being like a, a fruited bun that you have with tea um, doesn't turn up until the 20th century, really. 
So, in my opinion, I think it's probably just that there's a lot of buns and a lot of the time they're nice with tea. So, and you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm afraid there isn't a particularly satisfying narrative to this story. Um, but <laughs> the tea cake as we know it um, now has come to refer to this particular fruity flat bun. Um, that's, that's kind of it. And they are delicious, especially served warm and toasted. So... And I'm not usually a fan of anything that contains raisins, but I will make an exception for the tea cake. There's something about it. That is a vote of confidence. It's just, it evokes like old fashioned comfort and nostalgia, but also like just that kind of coziness and, and like warm, kind of fragrant, spiced deliciousness. And yeah, would recommend. <laughs> While while being, you know, a fairly it's it's not fancy, you know, compared to like little petty fours and like dainties and cakes and things. It's it is plain wholesome fare, but yet delicious. Um I mean not that plain considering it's got like spices and stuff in it, but you know. Yeah. It's brown. <laughs> it's brown, but brown food is good. Yes. I will die on this hill. <laughs> Um, and yeah, that comes to the end of our acquaintance with the tea cake. So I'm I'm very glad that we ended up having a bit of a theme. <laughs> yeah. So now you can go forth and try some teas and also some accompanying snacks. So if you if you want to join our Patreon Discord and bully me into info dumping on on Mike um and also get monthly recipes then you can go to patreon.com slash bread and thread you can also find us on twitter also bread and thread where we have uh pictures of anything that we talk about on the podcast these are for upcoming episodes and retweeting i almost said reblogging uh <laughs> retweeting <laughs> things that are relevant to our interests yeah, the, the Twitter has been less active lately as Twitter becomes harder to use, but I'm doing my best. Well, as as long as there are people who, you know, like to see us on that medium, we'll be there, I guess. Um, but if if you want to be on the fun and cool website, we're also Bread and Thread on Tumblr. Where and the magic we happens. Have, we have polls now. So there will probably be occasional polls. So you should come for the polls. Yeah. And stay um, for the tea. Come vote on things. Um, if you want to suggest an episode or a local ladder and for some reason don't want to give us money to do this, totally understandable, money is difficult. Um, you can also email us uh, breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com or message us on one of the aforementioned social media sites. So thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time.